Welcome to Neo Chats, an interview style podcast focusing on educating neonatal nurses caring for newborns and their families, hosted by Jenna Morton. It is a project of the Canadian Association of Neonatal Nurses, a nonprofit organization committed to the health and well being of newborns and their families. This podcast is proudly sponsored by AstraZeneca Canada. On this episode of Neo Chats, we're going to focus on how healthcare workers can help patient families better understand and try to prevent RSV. And to tackle this topic, I'm joined by Fiona Guy. She's a former neonatal nurse, an RSV clinic coordinator, and the RSV data management senior advisor with Mount Sinai. Welcome to Neo Chats. Hello. Thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. I know there's a lot that we can dive into here. I'm wondering if you can start with some of the questions that you want neonatal nurses to be ready to answer for their patient families. I think one of the most important things for nurses to be aware of is how to explain what RSV prophylaxis is. So unfortunately, not every baby is eligible to receive this prophylaxis. So there's kind of two facets to this. I think it's important for nurses to be able to explain preventative measures for RSV in general. And I also think it's important for nurses to be able to explain what RSV prophylaxis is for those who are eligible, because there a lot of people are hesitant uh, to give immunizations or vaccines to their kids. So I think it's important for them to know that RSV is, or the medication is called palivizumab or Synergis, and it's an immunoprophylaxis. So it is made of human monoclonal antibodies and is an injection once a month for the course of the cold and flu season, which typically is about five injections um, to increase antibodies against RSV. And because it is a passive immunization, it is one injection a month because we need to keep the antibodies at a therapeutic level each month. And it slowly starts to dissipate out of the body. So we need to do a top up. I think it's important for families to know that we're not changing anything inside the baby's body, that we're literally just giving them antibodies, which have an expiry date, if you will. And so at the end of the season, if they get all five injections, it lasts for about six weeks, and then those antibodies start to dissipate. And by the start of the new season, they don't have those antibodies that were given to them. So we are giving them antibodies. They're not creating their own antibodies based on this injection. So I think that's really important for families to know and for it to be explained, because often a lot of families think it's a one shot deal and uh, they're a little bit surprised when they find out that, oh, no, you need to come back for another four. Uh, And I think, again, it's very important to stress that it is preventative, but it doesn't prevent them from getting RSV. So if the infant is to get RSV, they will get RSV. It is how they cope with that RSV. And the hopes is when we're boosting their antibodies, that they will be able to deal with it significantly better. Um, so I think that's something that's very important for, for families to know who are eligible to receive prophylaxis. And then there's the other facet that I think all families need to know on preventative measures, because often we think, well, if I don't take my baby anywhere, then they're protected. And what you don't think about is, well, as a parent or a grandparent or anyone else that's coming into the home, we go to the grocery store, we get gas, we're interacting with other people. And RSV, yes, it's, it's you know, during cold and flu season, it is spread through aerosols, but 
it also stays on hard surfaces for six to seven hours, which is something that we don't think about. So one of the most highly used things that we have are our phones. And so you have to think that these viruses are staying on our phones. And if they're, if it's not something that you're cleaning frequently, um, you're touching your phone, then you're touching your face. And now you might have RSV and now you might pass it to your infant, or you might directly pass it to your infant because you touched your phone and now you've picked them up and they've maybe licked your hand or something like that. So I think it's really important for families to know the spreadability of it and how long it lasts on surfaces. So one of the things that I highly recommend to teaching families is to stress the importance of obviously not only hand washing and sanitizing, but also wiping down frequently used surfaces. So wiping down your door handles to your car, wiping down the frequently used door handles to your house, to the bathroom, hard surfaces, countertops, maybe where you put your groceries, those types of things. Um, and then when your infant gets a little bit older, wiping down toys that they're going to be putting in their mouths um, that maybe have been touched by other uh, their children. Um, another thing is often we find kids that contract RSV have a sibling in daycare or in kindergarten. So maybe a suggestion would be to have the sibling change out of their clothes when they walk in the door. Uh, RSV stays on clothes for about two hours and it stays on skin for about 20 to 30 minutes. So those are the type of things that I think can kind of give parents a little bit of, let's say, power um, to feel like they have a little bit more control over the situation and that they're just not at the burden of RSV without being able to do anything about it. So I think uh, another thing, you know, is smoking actually can increase um, the chance of contracting RSV and can increase the risk of more severe symptoms if the if they do contract the virus. So one of the things that would be recommended is if there is a smoker in the household or if there is a smoker that's going to be in contact with the baby is to change their clothes. Um, just to prevent that secondhand smoke from getting too close. Um, another thing would be to avoid large crowds. So not, or, and especially loud crowd, large crowds where there are going to be children, especially children of daycare or, or, you know, kindergarten age. Um, again, washing your hands frequently is something that we're all pretty good at doing these days, but, you know, it's just something to always keep in the back of your mind um, and then also being able to say no to people, you know, if someone's not feeling very well, then, you know, it's you advocating for your baby would say, you know, please, you're not welcome to come over today if you're not feeling 100% and just checking in. Um, I think probably because of how COVID has been, people are a lot more cognizant of that. Um, but again, it's okay to say no. Uh, and then I, those are pretty much the main preventative measures. But I think the key part is understanding how long it lives on surfaces for. Join your neonatal nursing colleagues October 1st and 2nd, 2023 in Toronto for the Canadian Association of Neonatal Nurses Conference, CAN 2023. For all conference and program information, visit the CAN website at www.neonatalcan.ca. Updates and highlights will be posted as they become available. I think that's a really great point. And like you say, that that idea of thinking of changing your clothes, if you've been in that situation with, you know, a lot of young kids or out in a big group, what can you say to, to parents who might be listening, who are kind of struggling with that idea of, well, but, but how do I tell people not to come touch my baby? How do I tell someone they have to change their shirt when they come into my house? I think 
what I've seen a lot is um, often everybody loves babies. So whether you're out in public or not, everybody wants to come close. Everyone wants to see a baby. What I've seen a lot with a lot of former preemie parents is on their car seat, they will have a little tag that's off their car seat that will say, I'm fragile, please don't come close or something simple like don't kiss the baby or, you know, I was premature. I need to be in, you know, a safety bubble. I don't think it says it like that, but um, just something to indicate, whoa, stop. I know I'm cute, but please give me some space. So I think the one of those things I have seen a lot of parents purchase those and it does make people stop. Um, I think another thing that, you know, use the doctors and the nurses at your disposal and say, I was told that I am not to do this because it is not safe or this was recommended. People often take advice better from an outside party than from you directly. And then you can kind of pass the buck on to the healthcare provider. Um, I've also seen um, in some ways, there's sometimes a family letter. So sometimes you could even draft a letter and saying like, these are the things that were recommended to me. And you can print that off and give it to family members. Um, just kind of stating all the things that are outlined on how to safely take home a premature baby or or a sick infant. Um, so I have seen those letters before. I'm sure they're, you can Google them. But or or maybe the facility that you're in is able to provide something like that um, to just kind of pass the buck off of you so that you can still advocate for your child, um, but not cause any disharmony within your family. I think it's a it's a great tool for the nurses who are listening to be able to say, oh, that's that's something I could give to my families that. Yeah, here's, you know, put, put the blame on me when you go home. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I think. I think it's very hard as a parent, and I know I, I'm also a parent, um, it's very hard to say no. Um, there's a lot of guilt, especially when, and, and I, I haven't experienced this, but especially with families who've been in the NICU for months at a time, and you know, no visitors allowed, so no one has been able to actually physically see the baby. It's very hard when they come home to say, just wait, we just need a little bit more time. Um, especially during cold and flu season, when for the most part, when we're the most contagious is when we're asymptomatic. And that's kind of a scary thing for families too, because by the time you start showing runny nose or cough-like symptoms, you were already contagious a few days before that. Um, and so I know families are very hesitant. At the same time, it's also important not to keep your baby in a bubble. So there's that fine line. And that's a thing that is sometimes difficult for nurses to explain because I don't want to say, hey, yeah, go to the mall in an open bath, you know, in an open stroller and just let everybody touch your baby. But at the same time, it's like, don't keep your baby in a bubble because if they never get exposed to anything for a long time, their immune systems can't handle that. And when they get sick, they get very sick. So it's that fine balance. Um, and unfortunately, as a, as a healthcare provider, I can't tell you what to do. Um, all I can do is provide you with enough information so that you can make an informed decision. But it is a fine line between keeping your baby super protected um, versus safely protected, I guess. And that's why I think it's important to know the preventative measures because it might make you feel a little bit safer to go out. What other details and information do you think it's important for nurses to to educate themselves on so they can pass that on to the families who maybe are trying to to understand why they might not qualify 
for the RSV series of injections? Yeah, that's a that's a tough one. So I think um, a good resource is definitely going to the Ministry of Health um, and understanding the eligibility criteria. There's some very straightforward eligibility criteria, and then there's some slightly confusing eligibility criteria for nurses to be able to access the Ministry of Health, even to look at the enrollment forms to see what would qualify. About Health Sick Kids gives a great description on RSV in general. And the Canadian Premature Babies Foundation does a great job at explaining a slew of viruses and kind of how to cope with that, RSV being one of them. I think it is a tough thing to explain to parents that their baby doesn't qualify. So one of the issues that would arise is a baby that was born as a late preterm. So 33 weeks to 35 weeks and six days. So those infants don't automatically qualify to receive the injection, but we do a risk assessment tool where we ask a series of questions that are high risk questions. So for example, if they're born in the height of cold and flu season, if they have siblings in daycare, if they're small for gestational age, some of those things can put them at an increased risk of contracting the virus and getting very sick if they do get the virus. But if they don't score 49 or above, they don't qualify. So if you score 48, you don't qualify to receive the injection. And so we've already discussed RSV with this family. We're asking them these questions and now we're saying, but wait, you don't qualify. So I think it's important to be able to explain to families that it is The eligibility criteria is very strict for many reasons. One, that they feel that if they don't meet these criteria, that yes, they can still get RSV and yes, they can still get sick, but they won't be as compromised as they would, uh, you know, if they were premature, if they had a cardiac condition, or if they did have those extra risk factors in their family. Another thing that is probably important thing to explain is the monetary uh, issue. So the injection of Synergis is $1,500 per ml, and it's a weight-based medication. So these infants get 15 milligrams per kilogram of Synergis once a month for five months. So depending on the weight, it can range from about $7,000 to $25,000 for one infant. And the ministry funds it based on the eligibility criteria. So the thought is that if they are to get RSV and they don't meet this criteria, that they are healthy enough or to be able to fight the infection off better than someone that was more compromised. Still a very hard discussion to have to have with parents when, you know, they're feeling anxious and and scared about everything. But the more information that a healthcare provider has to give them, the better that conversation is going to go. Is there anything else that you wanted to touch on that you want nurses in the NICUs to think of when they're talking about RSV with their patient families? I think the key thing is to actually talk about RSV with the families. So I think personally, every family needs to know what RSV is, whether they qualify or not, And yes, how you approach the discussion will depend on whether the infant is eligible or not. But I think it's really important to discuss that RSV is out there. RSV is actually one of the most common childhood viruses. Almost every child will get RSV by the time they're two. It's just a matter on how they cope with it. And so I think it's really important for families to know what it is and some preventative measures. Because 
most of us don't really, uh, most of the time, a lot of infants or children get RSV, it presents as a common cold. So I think another really important thing is, sorry, I got really excited about that, is to also, especially when they're in neonatal intensive care, show them signs and symptoms. So for example, what is a sign and symptom that this child may have a respiratory illness that requires them to, to be taken into ER? So one of the things is indrawing. If they're indrawing, they're struggling for air. So one of those things when the baby's at the bedside, if they're a premature infant, it's to show them those things so that they kind of have a baseline of what's normal for that infant and what's not. Uh, another thing would be wheezing. If they're starting to wheeze, again, they're struggling for air. So I think it's important for, for nurses to be able to teach them the signs and symptoms of illness and when it's appropriate to take them in. One of the another thing would be if you're ever really worried and you feel like you have to call someone to ask if you should take them in, you probably should take them in. Unfortunately, as healthcare providers, if you call me and say they're making these noises or they're breathing really fast, well, I can't assess your baby myself. So my recommendation would be if you're that worried that you need to take them in. But I think it is important to recognize the signs and symptoms of a respiratory illness that requires more than just monitoring. I think that's really powerful information for our healthcare providers to to keep top of mind when they're helping families of that this is the symptom we're talking about this is what to look for this is what normal sounds like exactly. <laughs> because as a exactly. as a parent you don't necessarily know those things we we don't have that same training we don't have the same thought process and so to share that information when you have that chance is is really wonderful thank you so much Fiona for sharing all of this with us for this episode Well, thank you for inviting me. I am very grateful to be able to share with you guys. Fiona Guy is an RSV clinic coordinator and the RSV data management senior advisor with Mount Sinai. NeoChats is a project of the Canadian Association of Neonatal Nurses. The content producer and host is Jenna Morton. Technical production by Tosh Taylor of the Podcast Hub. For more information on the association, visit our website at www.neonatalcan.ca or our Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram pages.